Great job, worship team. Thank you. Did you try to do an extra drum solo there, sweetheart? <laughs> you know what I love about this church? And if you're online, you know what I love about you? I think, but I'm not sure because you're not here. You know what I love about this church is that we can laugh and go to war at the same time. I think it helps to laugh when the Lord is the commander of the army. And if you're not laughing, maybe the Lord is not the commander of your army yet. But uh, what I want to say is that when you fight the Lord's battles, then it's up to the Lord to get the result. So obedience is up to me. The result is up to the Lord. And sometimes we're unhappy with the results that we're getting because we're fighting our own battles. Um, I think what we do when we come to worship is we, we often come in like, you know, like we do. And we have a magnifying glass and all the reasons why we're unhappy. And um, what we think that is, is a magnifying glass on the people around us because they're the reason that we're unhappy. Uh, and so we're trying to do heart surgery on them. But happiness is only 10% circumstantial. And you can't be happy unless you're healthy because healthy people are happy people. Oh, is he going to hurt my feelings right out of the gate? But what worship does is worship takes the magnifying glass. So you're looking at everybody else. You're trying to do heart surgery, but you're not a heart surgeon. So that's a bit of a problem. And then you try to do what you've been trying to do your whole life. You need to try to fix your own heart. But we still haven't figured out that you can't do that either. So why don't we come and just lift our hands and let God do the surgery. He'll put us under in a spirit of worship. And you'll forget that your life is all about you. And quit blaming God for why you're not happy. And Happy people are healthy people. I think in our series, Nehemiah, I think what God is, is trying to do in your life is to take the magnifying glass out that's just expanding and concentrating on your issues and on the issues of the people around you. Because uh, you're, you're, see, Nehemiah came to build the wall, but first he had to deal with the rubble, and there's so much rubble, can we say baggage in your life and in my life, that we just have a magnif, it's right there, you know? So we're just concentrating on that nonstop. And God is like, here, what he does is he gives Nehemiah a pair of binoculars. And he's like, let me take the magnifying glass and worship. Let's put a pair of binoculars in because this is where we could be going. Once you see where you could be going in the spirit of God and, and, and you allow your Nehemiahs to direct it like, no, 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 not quite there. Just an inch to the left because an inch here is a, a 10 miles there. You're just like, nope, just a little, that's it. That's where you're going. And when you, when you start seeing where it is that God intends for you to go and end up, then you can leave behind the small stuff and you can get over issues much easier because you're like, now I'm a son or daughter of God and I'm going here. So devil, don't distract me. I'm showing up at church. Our lives are often like a jigsaw puzzle. Do we have any jigsaw people in the house? You know I'm going to make fun of you in a minute. Do we have any competitive jigsaw people in the house? I watched Erin do a jigsaw puzzle of a billion pieces one time with her mother and her sister. And one of them would reach for a piece that the other one wanted because there weren't enough. And I watched them smack each other's hands. A young man, before you get married, bring a jigsaw puzzle to Christmas. Let's see what happens. That's marriage counseling 101. That's, that'll help you. Just, just watch. 
Just watch. You don't have to commit yet. <laughs> Your life and my life is like an unfinished jigsaw puzzle. And, and in my mind, I'm, I'm, I don't have the gift of patience. And so a jigsaw puzzle is the most frustrating thing in the world because my jigsaw puzzle doesn't look like it does in the box. One time, just to, to irritate Erin, because I love her and, and I'm really in her life to build her patience. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, I just thought that it would be sort of like a Lord of the Rings, like the one ring thing. And that if I put my own, if I just took a piece that Erin was working on in this puzzle when she wasn't there, and if I just put it in a particular spot that it would just, she would be like, my precious, who wrecked my puzzle? And so I, I spent five, five minutes trying to get the piece in the puzzle and you know there's like 500,000 blue pieces and I just picked one of them and I'm like how hard could this be right apparently very hard <laughs> five minutes to me is like a year for some of you guys like that's it's a lot and I just and I'm just trying here there they all look the same too right you'd think that not quite, but after five minutes I finally did what you and I do in our lives when we walk into a new job or when we walk into a new relationship or we try to treat our old relationship like we shouldn't and I finally just put it down in a spot, put my thumb on it, and then I went, boom. The trouble is when you do that, the next piece is going to go in the same way. And then the next piece, and then the next piece, and somebody's smart and saw where this is going, and you've been arguing the same way in your marriage for 10 years, and you've been cramming pieces in because you and I secretly think that the only person that matters is the person who controls where the pieces go. So you enter into a new relationship or you enter into a new job or a new group of friends and you try to fit yourself where you think that you ought to fit because you think that that's the only person that matters is the person who fits the pieces. But the only thing that matters is that the, the puzzle looks like it does in the box. And that's the only thing that will make you happy in the end is if your life looks like the life God planned for you. And so who cares who fits the pieces in if the puzzle gets finished? But the, the trouble is that you, you and I don't like being handled all that much, do we? And uh, I talked to the men's group. Thanks, Sean. Sean's part of the men's group, the, the virtual men's group we do on Zoom. I heard the other day that men's group works, uh, that Zoom groups work really good for men. And the girls are like, and we're done. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Introverts love the Zoom groups. I got one psychopath named Anthony who's like, I do Zoom groups forever if I could. We just think it would be more mature of you, Anthony, if you showed up to church with pants on because we don't know what you're wearing at home on a Zoom group. But, but look, uh, a bunch of guys get together from the church, a whole bunch of us, and we just, I just get to download a little pieces from the Holy Spirit that he gives to me on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock. And if you want to sign up for the Info Venue Church emails, jump in on that because you get stuff that nobody else gets. So just a little bit of that is we don't like being handled all that much, but there's times in your life, like every day when the Lord wants to handle you or he wants to send Nehemiahs to handle you so that he can find your fit. The Lord can. And then what happens is you'll be able to fit those people that you're responsible for because you're actually responsible to handle your children. You're actually responsible to handle employees. You're actually responsible. It's more than classroom. You're actually supposed to take people by the hand and help them get where they need to go. And some of us, we're just so broken on the inside that we just, we're so busy trying to cram our puzzle pieces in, we just absolutely refuse to let God handle us or let God send people to handle us. And we just become so ornery in our spirits. If you're a millennial, ornery just means 
I know y'all don't read a lot of books. I can't believe I just took it there. That was not a plan. Okay, I love you millennials. This whole idea of being handled, we don't like being handled. There's, there's twin towers in your life that hate being handled. And the twin towers are these two issues that we're going to talk about. They're character flaws every time. They're not something that you're like, hey, this is just who I am. Like God's like, but it shouldn't be. This is not something, it's, it's like, well, I'm just not going to be good at numbers in my life. Some people just never will be, but this is insecurity and pride. Can we just call these things sin? And as soon as you call something sin, then you actually got to do stuff like apologize for it and quit making up a story that makes it okay. Twin towers called insecurity and pride. Insecurity and, and pride, they're like twins that both turn out evil. Because that's what twins do. I said that in the first service and there were twins sitting over here and then I made eye contact with them and it got a little bit awkward, but their parents know that it's true. <laughs> no, they're great. I'm just kidding. But these two twins that seem opposite to each other, you can have twins that were born at the same time. They seem opposite to each other, but these two twins in your life will both do evil. Um, the, the two twins that hate being handled the most in your life are insecurity and pride. Now, this is the opposite of a spirit of insecurity and pride is a spirit of humility. And humility is simply this, not thinking too highly of yourself or too lowly of yourself, having an accurate view of you. Just like, here's who I actually am. Here's the stuff I'm working on that's not there yet. Here's what I'm good at. Here's not what I'm good at. Here's me. This is the truth about me. I'm okay with it. I'm working on this part. Uh, this is the good part. Um, Humility, true humility, it takes humility in your life to allow God to put somebody in your life to place you in the puzzle where you fit. And until you allow somebody else to, here's what I would say, you're trying to referee your own marriage. Now, I would love if Liverpool could appoint their own referees because we'd have won that game yesterday. And you're trying to referee your own life. You're trying to call the fouls. There has to be something else, a Nehemiah in your life, that God sends to you that calls a foul a foul and calls the goal a goal. Something else that defines the rules that you play by. Now, pride, you think that, that insecurity and pride can't be in the same person, that one person would struggle with pride and another with insecurity. But I see these two together in the same life constantly. They're opposite of each other, and this is how confusing it gets, is that pride is constantly trying to force its way in life you just walk in and just, boom, here I am in the puzzle. Like, deal with me, you know? Insecurity takes a puzzle piece and goes home when it feels like it's losing. Like, I'm, I'm losing the game. I'm going to take my ball and go home. And when it's in the same person, confusion and friction are just part of your life. Like, I just can't. Come on, online audience. They're not giving me any help here. Confusion and friction. Every argument you have is just confusing and it's full of friction. Nothing ever gets dealt with and done. And it's like insecurity. Insecurity is too concerned about self to step up and take a risk and actually have to answer for what you say sometimes and answer for how you feel. It just hides. Pride is too concerned about self to step back unless somebody else do it. Pride is too... See, insecurity spends its entire life wishing that we had somebody else's gift. I wish I was, I wish I had their kids because my kids are terrible. I wish I 
had their car. I wish I had their gift. They're just, they're better with people than I am with people. But the trouble is when you spend your whole life focusing on somebody else's gift and not being grateful for the gift that God gave you, which is just as legitimate, you just haven't developed it because you want somebody else's gift. So you've got a Christmas present under the tree that you haven't opened because you're staring at your neighbor playing in the yard with their Christmas present. And God's like, I spent the same amount on yours. You just got to actually open it. So the first service didn't get that. You're welcome. Insecurity is so busy wishing they had somebody else's gift and pride on the other hand thinks that it does. Like, thank you for my gift, which is, this is mine now. My car, my, my, mine. And when you have the, this happening, and what happens is you just oscillate from one to the other. And so a proud and insecure person goes from like disengaging and running home to engaging way too much. And, and not recognizing that God gave them a gift that's just as legitimate as their brother. To trying to take over the gift and to use their one gift that they have to do everything. And pride is too concerned about self to step back and let somebody else do it and get the glory. Letting somebody else come in and fix something in your life that you couldn't see. And rather than just be like, thank you, the first thing out of your mouth is like, I had that thought just before you said that. And they're like, no, you didn't. You've never had that thought a day in your life. It's something that when you, when you have insecurity and pride in the same person, um, I was, I was with a person a few weeks ago, and, and every room that they enter, they can't not compete. They just cannot. They think that the basis of relationship is for everybody to agree with them. And so they're constantly telling you what they agree with and what they don't agree with. And if, my goodness, if you have a different opinion than them, they're just like, yeah, but you're wrong, and here's why you're wrong, and why. Because they, they think that it's their job to fit everything in the puzzle, and if... You see something differently than I see. You must be wrong. But, the, the, but insecurity and pride. And then it oscillates to this other thing of like, I'm not worthy enough to come into the room at all. So I'm just going to stay away. And so in the same relationship, you're just, you're leaving arguments before you actually deal with issues. Or you're trying to just control and be the referee. And you can't find this middle ground in the middle that's just like, well, here's my part, but here's your part. And maybe we should just deal with our parts, <laughs> you know. It's this thing that's constantly forcing and driving and... and and you don't want to be competitive because, listen, same team. Same team. If you're in a family, if you're in a church family, it's the same team. Insecurity will try to get more people on your team so that your team wins. But you're trying to score against your own goal. So the more people you can turn to your little pocket of thinking is not great because it should be God's thinking. And as long as you're insecure and proud, you'll never be able to not see eye to eye and walk hand in hand. Because seeing eye to eye is basically them seeing the world the way that you see it, or else. And then sooner or later, you stop holding hands and you stop moving forward together with the family. Unity begins where agreement ends. Well, what does that mean? Are we all mindless slaves? No, we can actually love each other unconditionally. However, somebody else has to be the referee and God will send you. Nehemiah's. The most, I, I grew up in a pastor's home, and so I've seen many families operate. I've seen, I've watched many, many people operate their lives according to certain principles. So I had the advantage. You don't have the advantage. See, every, every argument that you're in or every new issue that you deal with, it's the first one. 
So it's like building a model airplane for the first time. Okay, nobody, uh, it's like, uh, <laughs> nobody, nobody knows what that is, millennials, sorry. We actually used to glue little parts, but they'd come with 50,000 parts, but the first one always looks like, you know, you can get an airplane and it would look like a tank by the time you're done, because it just like, putting the puzzle together, man, it's like, it takes, so the first experience and the first argument of that you're dealing with this in your teenager, you're like, this is your first time, but I watched it happen so many times, I'm just like, here's the pattern, you know, the Holy Spirit's like, well, and, and, and what happens is God sends Nehemiahs to you who have seen the pattern and are trying to uh, stop you at the beginning of it so that you don't just follow the train wherever it goes because sin only goes in one direction. And, and if you want to get out of sync with the Holy Spirit of God, it just keeps happening over and over and you'll just keep repeating the pattern over and, and over. The most worrying thing to me that I see as a pattern in somebody who is both proud and insecure, which is all of us, is that it almost, it's almost like... Um, Spraying yourself with like mosquito repellent, but the mosquitoes are health and happiness. The mosquitoes are the very people who could help you sting you back into health and happiness. Did you like that? I don't know how this is working with the mosquitoes right now, but it just came to me. It sprays you with a Teflon coating that makes you repellent to the very people that God sent to help you. There's something about them that you just won't be able to stand. It's something you're going to have to recognize that every time I talk to this type of a person in my small group, they just know about me. Have you ever talked to my mom? She knows. I come in with a story that I've been working on and mama just be like, stop. No. Nice story, but no, you think you're the first, first cope who tried that. Right, yeah. There's something about that will make them repellent to you, and you'll spend your entire life trying to find people who are like you and repel the people that God sent you. Because all the people who are like you, they're just going to agree with you. Well, Nehemiahs don't always agree, but they've they got a difficult job of, of building a wall. And God is trying to send you Nehemiah so that you can be healthy because your happiness is only 10% circumstance. The other 90% got to get healthy or you're just not going to be healthy. You're just not going to be happy is what I should say. We've got to get over this jealousy and, and competition. You're not here competing with your brothers and sisters for their gifts. If you lift them up in honor, they win, you win, we all win. God's like, why can't you just hear that person talk to you right now? Sometimes it's your four-year-old who's just like, Mom, you're messed up. <laughs> Mom, we learned in Sunday school, and I don't think that you're doing what the Bible says. And, and God sent you a little Nehemiah, and you should listen, because God can talk through whomever he wants to. See, what Nehemiahs do and what makes you spray yourself with Teflon and, and make you so that you can't stick to something and learn the lesson until it's done. Until you can't allow God to put his, his hand on your life and reveal a weakness. But see, God never reveals what he won't heal. But you never stay long enough in the right attitude. You either try to take over or you run. And if you just stay in the sandbox and play by the rules that God has. But what we do is we disengage. And then we sit over here and feel sorry for ourselves until nobody comes and finds us. Because to have friends, you need to be, what's that word? Oh, friendly. 
I'm just seeing who my real friends are. People who love being depressed all the time and love you talking about yourself all the time. Or you're so proud that you just got to come in and take over like, hey, I'm in charge, everybody. Congratulations. I will be a kind dictator unless you cross me. <laughs> Awkward laughter. Yeah. My mom went when, see, what, what you do if you're proud and insecure, you play the drama card a lot, right? And so God will be trying to deal with an issue in your life. And what you'll do is, is you'll start seeing that issue crop up in everybody else's life around you. But if you're not responsible to speak into your life, God is actually showing you, you. So God will never give you revelation for something you're not responsible for. Well, you mean I won't see a fault? You might see a fault, but God's never going to give you revelation to deal with it because that's not your job. God will give you revelation to deal with your children if you get it right. God will give you revelation to deal with yourself. And God will give people revelation to handle you and to deal with you. But all you do is you see your little issue crop up. And if you have an anger issue or a lying issue, you'll start seeing that everywhere else but right here. And then what will happen is your pride and insecurity will cause you to create this drama production. Like my mom used to do when they were first married. She would tell us like, yeah, I'd get so mad at your dad sometime because we'd just be arguing about something. He'd be trying to deal with the issue and I'd be mad because she didn't come from the world's healthiest family. <laughs> a little psycho. One time her sister stuck a needle in the back of her other sister's head right there. A darning needle. That's not normal. So you think the family you came from was normal until you went to your friend's house and you're like, oh, wow. And so she, in early fights, you know, my dad was pretty calm. And my dad is kind of like a Nehemiah, you know. He could just settle you down and be like, That's, can we just talk about the issue? Like, and my mom would get so mad that she, she, she would say, and she loves telling the story, she just slammed cupboard doors. And my dad would sit there just like dad does. Have you ever seen dad's very stoic? He'd just sit there and just be like, I don't see what you get out of that. <laughs> yeah, you know, if you're trying to pick a fight, that's the worst person in the world to try to pick a fight with. Like, he'd say, now i got to get tools and and fix it. Some of us have been slamming cupboard doors for so long. You think you can get a rise out of God, but God's just going to wait until you're done your two-year-old kicking fit in the floor. And if you want love and affection, come and ask for it like everybody else does. That's the wrong way to get it. Quit slamming cupboard doors because God's tired of fixing the, the cabinets. Why don't you just let him deal with the issues, but he's not going to, you're not going to do your own heart surgery because you won't have revelation to fix yourself. Sometimes you will a little, but you won't. Most of the time, you got to let somebody else do the operating. Now, here's what I want to say to you is that before this pandemic and the lockdown, some of you, I feel like by the spirit of God, I just added this late in my notes. I feel like you're wishing that life could go back to the way that it was because the pressure brought out all sorts of problems that you're thinking like, oh, well, this wasn't a problem before. That's not really true. It was a problem. It just, you didn't have enough pressure to reveal it yet. And in God's grace, it's been revealed so that he can bring his truth. But Pandora's box is open. You're going to spend 80% of your energy trying to get it back in the box, but you can't. So just move forward because your destiny lies in front of you, not what's behind you. Unless if we got to tear the house down, let's tear the house down. Let's rebuild the foundation of your life. Once revealed, twin towers need to be broken before they break you. There's only one option and it's forward. Nehemiah chapter 4, and it says, Nehemiah's enemies, but when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites, and Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. Now don't, see, half the wall was built. You remember, we're up to half the wall, but, but see, the devil will let you get a little wind under your belt because he'd rather come in at this point 
and discourage you and steal the seed of what God has been doing because then you have to not just deal with, with the building the wall. You have to deal with discouragement, and he loves it when you're discouraged. And so this is when, you know, mount up an attack against you, when you feel like, hey, we just had a good week, and then mm. resilience. Man, this is where you need Nehemiah the most. It said, um, they all made plans to come fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. It says, but we, now Nehemiah is talking, but we, we didn't do, you know, did you handle COVID very well? You know, I'm under so much pressure. Like I stopped reading my Bible to deal with the pressure. I stopped worshiping and loving Jesus and going to online church because I had too many problems. Watch what he does. He says, but we prayed to our God. We got our eyes off ourselves. We prayed to our God and we guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Pray and guard, pray and guard. Then the people of Judah began to complain. This is what you and I do next. The workers are getting tired and there's so much rubble to be moved. You start, you start moving your eyes from God and where you're going to what's in front of you. And all you can see is the rubble. And it says, we will never be able to build the walls by ourselves. Now, here's the thing. If God says you can, don't ever say you can't. You're lying. I'm going to call it. You're lying. With God, all things are possible. I can, by my God, run through a troop. My, my, he will make my arms strong to bend a bow of bronze is what it says. In my God, anything is possible. And as soon as I say I can't, what I really mean is I won't. I won't. I quit. I'm done. I disengage. I'm insecure. I don't feel like I can get through this. It's too much, God. I'm tired of all the rubble. I'm tired of all the baggage. But see, others are in the same boat as you are. Don't disengage connect, but do not connect on your terms because they're not working. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we'll swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. Now, nobody here loves hearing that. Like, hey, the wall is half built. Everything is going down quick. And these guys all want to kill you and they're making plans. There's nobody here who's like, yes, I've been waiting for something like this. What an opportunity. But there's something about this that energizes Nehemiah because Nehemiah loves a good fight. He, she was made for it. They're, oh, they're so good. They're right in the pocket. God wants them. The Jews who lived near the enemy came, catch that, who lived near the enemy. Jews that lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. Now, anybody got friends that live a little bit too close to the enemy? Careful. Abraham gives Lot like his pick of the land and he picks the best of the land, but the best of the land was in the worst of the sin in Sodom and Gomorrah. And it says that Lot pitched his tent with his door open there. You pitch your tent with your door open there like, hey, I'm just curious what's going on over there. I'm just curious and I'm just curious. And you, you have your old friends and your old way of life and the old things that you used to do that never worked. You pitch your tent like, okay, I'm going to take this land that God gave me, but I'm just going to keep an eye on because I got some arguments I need to win. And then pretty soon you're living in it. And then you, pretty soon you come under the judgment that comes to that. But it was never meant for you. You just come into it because you have friends that are living, you have friends in here that are living too close to the enemy. Supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. So this is the most brilliant part of this scripture. My favorite piece today. He says, Nehemiah says, so I placed, they did not place themselves. I 
placed, according to a plan the Holy Spirit gave me, I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. Stop and think. I placed armed guards. I put, so the wall is being built now, and some, some of the wall is higher, and some of the wall is lower. Behind the lowest parts of the wall, he's saying, I put the armed guards. I put the CrossFit crew. I put the MMA psychos. I put the gorillas there, and I said, guys, take your shirts off. You're not going to need them for the next week. Take your shirts off and just stand around and just, like, lift stuff and just... You guys with muscles love to show it off. Come on now. I don't because I'm humble. I don't have any muscles. Let's put these guys over here and let's put the librarians over here. Let's put the chess club over here. And uh, all they can see is the tops of their helmets. So let's give them big helmets. But let's let the enemy think that everybody's like these guys when everybody's not like these guys. And... It's the strategy that starts building around your strengths instead of you constantly trying to build with your weakness. And then he says, this is other brilliant piece. My second favorite part. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Now, this is what Nehemiah will do that you can't do for yourself. He or she will arm you for the fight because you showed up to a knife fight with your bare knuckles. You're going to get stabbed. You showed up to a gunfight with a knife. You're going to get shot in the face. You're constantly in the fight. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. You show up in the flesh and try to wrestle the devil. It doesn't work. And so what Nehemiahs will do is they will arm you with the word of God. They will arm you with where you're going. They will arm you with strategy. They'll be like, no, 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 no. That's not how you fight in a marriage. That's not how you raise teenagers. That's not how you raise kids. They will arm you with the fight. And here's what I would say. Um, this is very wise because, look, if it's just me and Chad standing here and we get overrun by the enemy, um, I don't have to be the fastest. I just can't be the slowest. It's like a zombie attack. I know that I would survive. I'm just going to hang out with some of you all that are slow. But you put my wife and my daughters behind me, you'd have to kill me and drag my body out. Because my corpse will still be kicking at you. There's no way, listen, you can deal with Pandora's box right now, or you can watch your children try to deal with something three times worse. Pick. Can you live in that world or not? How do you think our family got fixed, man? Because Aaron and I dug deep and we're like, we cannot imagine a world where our kids deal with our issues. Let them at least have different issues to deal with, but they are not going through the same pain and suffering. And humiliation that your pride requires, they are not, we will stop it now. It will stop in this generation. Because if you don't beat it, your family will get overrun. And I cannot live in that world anymore. Be stationed with your families. They'll put you in front of your families and be like, here's, here's what I know about you. Your own personal happiness will not be enough leverage to get you fixed. You won't have it in you. You won't have it in you, I'm telling you. If you have children... Maybe their future would be enough to leverage you. You have to start loving people more than you love you. You have to find your life by losing it. And if all you're concerned about is you, and you don't give a rip about your kids and their issues that they're going to be dealing with, 
Come on, you can do better than that. And Nehemiah is going to put you right in front of them and say, stop it. This is not about you. This is about them. This is not about you. It's about your friends here. That if you go down the wrong path, they're going to follow you. Don't do it. Don't do it. Fight for... Then I looked over the situation. He says, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people. And I said to them, three things. Watch this. Don't be afraid of the enemy. And they're all like, you can't tell us that we can't be afraid because, you know, we're just being honest with our emotions. Well, that's interesting. It would sharply disagree with scripture that says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no. I have decided I will fear no. Your emotions are subject to your spirit. And if that same spirit raised Jesus from the dead inside of you, I will fear no. Stop it. You think that you have to be angry because it's how you feel and you're being honest? You're being immature. You have character flaws. Tell your anger where to go. Get angry at your anger. Hey, whoa, hey, hey. What are you sneaking around here for? Out, now. I don't get to be angry. I get to deal with the issue. I don't get to tell a lie. I'm going to deal with the issue and be honest. I don't get to. No, stop. That's what children do. I'm not a child. I got it. I will fear no. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Then he says this. Remember the Lord. Quit remembering the rubble. Quit bringing it up. Quit tripping on it. Quit throwing it at your husband. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious as opposed to your baggage and fight for your own happiness. No. Your brothers. You don't even appear in this sentence. Your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Fight. When the fight's not about you, you'll go further. You'll fight harder. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans. Watch this. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans. Who knew? Nehemiah knew. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them. Don't you want God to frustrate the devil in your life right now? God had frustrated them. Why? Because we executed a plan. We all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, watch this. Watch how Nehemiah shifts this now. Now, this is where you need Nehemiah's in your life. Because once you get a little victory, you'll let your foot off the gas. And the devil will come and steal that seed from your life right before you get the lesson. And Nehemiah's, watch what, what from then on, they'll tighten up the discipline because that's how God made them. They're just like, no, no, no. This is when we're most vulnerable is after we have a victory. He says, but from then on, only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, uh, spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And this is what you need Nehemiah for. Maybe the most important thing you need to hear today. They will help you keep what you fought so hard for. If you don't have that prophetic voice in your life, you'll lose it. They will help you keep what you've been fighting so hard to gain. They'll help you. They'll be like, nope, not like that, like this. Nope, not like this. Nope, nope. We're still going to. Guard, 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 guard. Yeah. Stay strong. Read your Bibles. Yeah. Pray. Get, get back to small group. Yeah. Don't, don't let the devil isolate you. You're done. Right. And it says the leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were behind the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand, supporting their load, and one hand holding a weapon. I think that I would rather that you build slower, but guard what you're building. I think we got time to build slower, but I don't think that we have time to keep rebuilding. I think it's too discouraging for us. Got to keep what you built. 
All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeter, listen to me, stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and officials, the work is very spread out. We are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding. Then our God will fight for us. Meaning, if you don't rush to where the trumpet is sounding, online church, if you don't rush to where the trumpet is sounding, then maybe God can't fight for you. He has a strategy, but it's his strategy. Do you think you can fight the war any old way you want to and win? God's like, no, there's 100% victory for you, ready for you right now. Execute this plan. Do what I tell you to do, do how I say it, and you will win because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Then I will fight for you, but there will be a sound of a trumpet. Get, you came to church today because there was a sound of a trumpet. I came for the sound of the trumpet. We gathered together and God can do what he can do gathered together and fix you more than he can do it when you're by yourself. There's something about, come to the sound of the trumpet. We worked early and late from sunrise to sunset and half the men were always on guard. Guard your families this week, guard yourselves, guard your own souls. I love Nehemiah. Come on up, guys. Nehemiah can assess your life, can bring urgency and bring momentum. You need that. The next thing that Nehemiah does as I end this sermon is you and I were tripping through too much rubble, emotional rubble, baggage, the ways that we think and the ways that we feel, the, the old habits of speaking, the old ways that we, I can't, I can't, the old gossip and the old slander and the old we're trying to fight a battle using the tools of the enemy, but they only work against you. And the rubble and the baggage that starts piling up in your life, the only way that, that God can get through that is to, for him to send you a Nehemiah, because there's a scripture that says, fall on the rock, and they're talking about Christ, to fall on the rock and be broken. There's only two options. Or one day it will fall on you and grind you to powder. That's when you sit back and wait for somebody, for you to keep poking the bear who is a holy God, and you wait 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 until one day it falls and it grinds you to powder and you come under the consequence of your sin. There is opportunity in the house to repent and fall on the rock and be broken because when you do that, see there's, there's a dual problem. You need to deal with the rubble and you need a wall. And God will send Nehemiah and he'll be like, if you fall on the rock, I'll use Nehemiah to make a mosaic and build the wall with the rubble. Because if you build it out of powder, it's going to fall the next time the wind comes up. But, but God will send your people and your small group leaders and God will send your and God will send people to you that will use the broken pieces of your life to build a mosaic and a wall. And the beauty about this wall is that when you build this wall, all the pain and suffering in your life, all the betrayal and all the bad, nasty things that you've done becomes this beautiful mosaic that no longer belongs to you. It belongs to the people behind you by the grace of God. And every pain and suffering that you've dealt with and everything that you've ever done that you're so ashamed of and haven't brought out, everything actually works to protect the people behind you. It was enough that you went through it. Let's get through it and allow God to build a mosaic so that one day we can build a wall because victims look at the rubble, but victors look at the wall and say, yeah, but in spite of, this is what God can do. This is when I come to church and it's not about me in church anymore. It's about you. My worship initially starts with like confession, like, oh God, why do you love me? I don't even know why I'm here, but I am. And I love you and I worship you. And he starts taking my chains off. But then we're going to sing a song like we're going to sing right now. And I'm not singing it for me anymore. I'm singing it for you. And you're not singing it for you. You're singing it for your neighbor who's not even here yet. 
You're singing it for that sinner that desperately needs Jesus right now. Listen, venue church is for sinners. There's not a sin you can commit that we won't love you in church. Come to this church. If you're too good church people to have sinners amongst your midst, what are you doing here? And we start singing for the people. We start singing for our brothers and sisters, our cousins, our and we start singing for our neighbors and we allow God to build a wall and then we glorify God because it all belongs to him. Let's sing.